Amen. Uh, well, if you would, please join me if you're at the church. I know there's a Bible in front of you if you didn't bring it with you. If you're at home like me, take out your own Bible and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, our reading is going to begin at verse 20. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead will also come through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, and then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last to be destroyed is death and he has put everything for he has put everything under his feet now when it says everything have been put under him it is clear that this does not include God himself who has put everything under Christ when he has done this then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Well, I often like to look back and see the last time that I preached a passage. And the last time I preached on this passage was February 9th, 2020. It was part of our series on fear. And in that message, I began by pointing to what was a major headline in the news at that moment, this new thing called coronavirus. At that time, I shared how it had been spreading across the world, and on that particular Sunday, there were a whopping two cases in nearby Illinois and one confirmed case in Dane County, Wisconsin. I have to laugh because, oh my goodness, how things have changed in the last two years. But I'm also grateful for the perspective that then to now brings because we know that everything changes, and even though everything has changed and will continue to change, this passage and its truth and God's hope and grace will always remain the same. Uh, Today is the last Sunday in our, our final um, fall series called Messy Grace, and we have been walking through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, a church that in the first generation of Christians had gotten a little bit messy, and in that respect, we read it thinking this could be written to us too. And so last week we talked about 1 Corinthians 13. It's Paul's love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. You've heard it in countless weddings, I'm sure. And uh, we talked about how the church can get messy when we lose our perspective on love. And, and, and how not only as an institution, but as members of the body of Christ, this can happen to us when we focus more on our abilities and our gifts and the things that we do than we do on our love. Paul writes that nothing matters without love because our gifts and abilities someday will cease and love will never fail. And so that was last week. This week we are concluding with another loss of perspective in the Christian church in Corinth. This time they had lost their perspective on death and resurrection and what Jesus has brought 
to those truths. And in the verse that we're, we're reading, in the verses just before our reading today, Paul begins by writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. If you have your own Bible, underline that first importance. That Christ died for the sins according to the scriptures, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. I'm glad I'm not the only one that's referred to the one who is abnormally born. Uh, but what Paul is saying here is actually really important. It's the core of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the story, the true story, that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross and then three days later rose again. And he's saying it's true. It's true because many of the Corinthian church didn't believe that the actual resurrection was true. And he says, you don't have to just take my word for it. But he says there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. There was a crowd of people that didn't even know Jesus. They didn't all know him personally. But then you also had those who did know him intimately, the apostles. And then you had some of the most unlikely witnesses. He lists James, Jesus' half-brother. And I always love, I've heard this pointed out by several different people over the years, of how, how if there's anything you need to, to see to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, look at his sibling saying, my brother was the Son of God, right? I don't think any of us would call our siblings the Savior because we know better, but not Jesus' half-brother James. He knew that he was the Son of God. And then he goes on to say, even I, Paul, the one abnormally born, he used to be out killing Christians. And then Jesus appeared to him and made him an apostle. And all of this is to say to the Corinthian church and to us, this really happened. The resurrection really occurred. It is a real thing, and it has happened in Jesus. And it matters because if you look at the next verse, verse 13, he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If you don't believe this to ever be possible, then Christ couldn't have been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What Paul is saying is that, that if you come to church and you walk away from a sermon or, or a song with anything helpful and hopeful and encouraging and, and you know that maybe God loves you and that he's got a great plan for you and for your life, but if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection that comes through Jesus for us at the end of the day, Paul says that all of the other stuff is just a waste of time. It's just a waste of time. And that might sound harsh, but it's not unlike 1 Corinthians 13 when he says that if you share your gifts and your abilities, but you do so without love, you're wasting your time. He said it's a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Do you see a theme here in the latter chapters of 1 Corinthians? What, what Paul is getting at is that there are essentials to the faith that we have in Jesus. Essentials that are so essential that if we miss these things, then we miss out on everything. And, and Paul is drawing the church back to those essentials. And his words are drawing us back to those essentials because how often 
do we miss the essentials? How often do we fall away from the essentials? How often do we give or receive without love, right? Like, like, like we're about to enter into the, the season of giving, but how often is the season of giving, not really the season of giving love, but the season of giving chaos, right? Running around, buying presents, not out of love, because I got to get it, I got to order it, make sure that it gets here in time because everything's running out of stock these days and we lose track of the people in the midst of the traditions. And the people are the essential part. And we all know this. And yet, how often do we miss the essential for the other things? Same is true in this passage. Paul says, how often do we look for hope and hope in the moment without any regard to the eternal life that God has put in our perspective? And I want to be clear for just a minute here. Paul isn't saying in this verse and any of this that, that our faith can't comfort us in the moment that we're living in right now. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God wants to come alongside you and me in whatever it is that we're facing. But if all of our faith is only good for what we're facing in this moment and the promises of God on this side of eternity, if that's all we're looking for from God, then Paul says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are people most to be pitied. And the reason why is because Jesus didn't just come to answer your prayers for today. He didn't just come to answer your prayers for today. He didn't just come to be with you and I in our momentary circumstances, but he came to conquer the worst case scenario in any and every situation that all of us will ultimately face someday, and that is death. Death. It's like what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus. Others have said it as well, and I've shared it probably many times. If, if he came to just be a good teacher, which often people say, right? He had good teaching lessons, right? Lots of things we can learn about the way in which he lived. But if, if Jesus actually said the things he said and came and the people who followed him said what they said about what happened to him, and, and he was just a good teacher, at best, he's also a liar, and at worst, He's a lunatic because Jesus ran around saying that he was going to rise from the dead. And the believers that came after him ran around saying and have been saying for 2,000 years that Jesus rose from the grave. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't trust anyone who runs around and says that unless it's true. I wouldn't trust anybody to teach my kids math or how to bake a cake if they were running around and saying they died and three days later they rose from the grave. I wouldn't do any of that. In today's language, that kind of person would be canceled, right? Unless it's true. And the Apostle Paul says that it's true. And he says that it's true, and because it's true, your hope and mine is not just in this moment today, but it is an invitation every time we grasp for God's hope in the moment we're living in to begin to look at the hope that he has for us in the life to come. Look at verse 20. He says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Death that comes from the curse of sin, death that comes from the curse of sin began at the very beginning. This is what Paul is outlining. This is theology for us that's so important to our lives. 
Death came from the very beginning. We inherited this sinful state from our furthest most ancestor, Adam, and yet we have also perpetuated this over and over again throughout every generation. We are responsible too, but it all begins at the beginning, and then Jesus came to be the new Adam. He came to be the new Adam. Jesus came to live the perfect life that you and me and Adam and everyone in between could never live and then died the death that we deserve that he might rise again and undo the curse of death so that all people who profess their faith and trust in Jesus have a new inheritance in him and that inheritance is his eternal life. An eternal life that has implications on every promise and every gift that God has ever or ever will share with you today and the gifts that we share with others. This is how Paul continues. Look at verse 23. He says, Each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, the end will come. It will come. And at that time, he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The resurrection matters. Because the resurrection is the culmination of God's work in our world today. It points to what Jesus ultimately came to do and what he will come back to finish. He did not just come so that when we are on our deathbed, we might be whisked away to eternal life in heaven someday. But he also came to hand over a perfected world, a fixed world, a redeemed world back to God the way in which God had always intended it to be. And the promise and the hope of 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus will not finish that work until every power and every authority that kills anything and hurts anyone has been placed under his feet. Every hurt, every death, every suffering, every virus, every pandemic, every murder, every prejudice. Why does all this matter? Why is this of first importance according to Paul? Because he tells us and we read here that if Jesus came to conquer death, he can conquer everything. And the resurrection is God's guarantee that he will. And it matters. Because think about everything else that you ever pray to God for. Think of anything that you ever have come before God and asked for his healing or his forgiveness from. Every injustice, every opportunity, all of those things. Just assume God gives you everything you ask for all of the time. Without the resurrection, the argument goes that it still wouldn't be good news because eventually we're going to die. And if God answered all of our prayers up until death and then death pulls the rug out from under us and we're not there again and everything is over, not to be flippant, but what would it matter? What would any of it matter? What would it matter if you had cancer at the age of 30 and you pray to God to heal you and he does and, and you still die at 90? I know a lot of people who've lost their loved ones at 90 and it's still too soon. It's not enough. It does not seem to be the way in which God intended life to go. 
I think about the irony of preaching on this today as I'm in my basement and I have COVID-19, something that has taken countless lives. And I think to myself, even if I remain asymptomatic, I'm still going to die from something someday, won't I? Of course I will. And Paul says that the worst thing that will eventually happen to everyone, me and you and everyone, is actually in Jesus the best news of all. And I give Paul the credit for saying that it's the best news of all because it does not feel like good news to us. And so why does Paul say that our death and death itself is ultimately good news? Because after Jesus has finished putting everything under his feet, every enemy in the world has been conquered. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that he will destroy is death itself. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ, but he has done this. Then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, we're going to get a little deeper into that in our, in our, our um, 1045 deep dive, which I'm still going to participate in and facilitate over Zoom. So I hope you join us either remotely or in person. But the bottom line is that when you and I are on our deathbed, when you and I are on our deathbed, when my children are on their deathbed, I want them and I want you and I want myself to know that every single prayer that God has ever answered in our lives will pale in comparison to what he is about to do. We will all die and when we die, instead of ceasing to exist, we will fall into the arms of a Savior who has already been there, who has already done that and who has come out the other side and he is alive. And when you believe that, and when you put your hope and faith and trust in that, and when your faith today clings to that, there's this quote by J.K. Rowling, the, the author of the Harry Potter series that I've shared before, and I'll share it again. He says, To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. And let me leave you with a story. I, I shared this last time I preached on this passage. It wasn't that long ago, so... Some of you might remember the story, but it was, it was a few summers ago. My oldest son, Jacob, he was, a, he was 11, I think, at the time, 10. I think he was 10, 10 at the time. And, and he wanted to go on the highest roller coaster in the state of Wisconsin. We were staying at Mount Olympus in the Wisconsin Dells, and, and it's home to the highest roller coaster in Wisconsin. And he had just gotten tall enough to be able to ride on those. And, and I hadn't ridden on a roller coaster for years. I did it a lot when I was a kid, but I, I, I got to admit, I was a little bit scared when he told me he wanted to do this. And so, so I, I told my wife, I made sure our life insurance policy was paid. And I, I literally, I kid you not, that, that part I was kind of kidding on. But, but, but I don't kid you when I say I Googled Mount Olympus roller coasters because I thought I should learn about this, this contraption that might take my firstborn son in my life. And, and when I Googled Mount Olympus roller coasters, you know how sometimes Google ads suggested things that people search alongside what you're searching? The words, I kid you not, that came up were death and accident. And I should have known that because the, the roller coaster's name was Hades, which is the, the Greek word for the place of the dead. You see where this is going, right? right? I've been on a roller coaster forever. I'm going to go on this roller coaster called the place of the dead. But my oldest son really wants to go. 
And so we know what we do for our kids. We'll do anything for our kids. And so we kissed our family goodbye. I told Alyssa what songs I wanted sung at my funeral. And we walked to Hades. Jacob and I walked to the place of the dead. And, and of course, the line felt like it took forever. And we got to the front of it. And we got into our seats. And a teenager strapped us in. And immediately, I'm questioning all of his credentials. This kid cannot possibly have enough training to make sure he and I are safe as we go into this. And yet, we did. And it started to go. And with every click that that roller coaster went up, I got more and more afraid, just like I remember feeling as I was a kid going up every roller coaster I had ever gone on. But once it went over the top and down the edge, it went from fearful to exhilarating. Fearful to exhilarating. As a matter of fact, it was so much fun, we got in line and we did it again and again and again and again until Jacob's old man's back hurt and I told him we had to take a break and we stopped. Now forgive me for maybe making it sound like I'm making light of death. But it is relevant. Because you and I someday will be like my son. And we will climb into a roller coaster for the first time, the roller coaster of life that on this side of heaven will end in death. And when that day comes, it will not be your earthly father or mine reaching out for your hand. It will be Jesus himself saying, take my hand. I've been on this ride before. He literally says in Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and Hades. And friends, if you trust in the one who holds those keys today, if you trust Jesus, he is the one that will hold you when that day comes. And so take the hand of Jesus. This is what is of first importance. Know that he cares intimately about every hurt, about every evil, about every injustice, which is why conquering death, he will conquer all things too, which is why it is of first importance that you and I know that he died and he rose from the dead, that we too might live with him so let's pray that right now. Let's join together in prayer. Lord Jesus, as I was preparing this message, I, what came to my mind was the story in the Gospels when this father brought his son to you and he asked him, he asked you to heal him. He had asked the disciples, but they couldn't do it. This young boy had been possessed by an evil spirit and and when this father asked you to heal his son, you said, everything is possible for the one who believes. And the man replied, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. I think that story came to my mind because oftentimes that's my prayer too. I believe, but I also need your help to believe. To believe that you're not only with us today, but that you will be with us always until the very end of the age, an end that will never really end because death in you has lost its sting. It has no victory, and neither will all evil, 
all brokenness, all pain, all suffering, all of it, your promise says and proclaims will be put under your feet once and for all. And so until that day comes, not only help us to believe that it's true, but help us to find that hope that gives us the strength to endure today. Hope that as we pray to you, we remember that as you conquer death, you can conquer whatever it is that we face in this moment. You can, and the resurrection is the promise that you will. And so may we walk in that ultimate hope and grace. Fill us with that grace as we prepare near and far to gather around your table, to receive your body and your blood, to be reminded of your eternal life that is ours in you as well. In Jesus' name we pray.